Now, last week we talked about uh, we talked about embracing uh, the unknown territories in life. And uh, we talked about how sometimes the journey ahead is a little bit different than what we're used to. And it's going to be a new way, a new process, but God's going to guide us every, every step of the way. So we can boldly embrace those uncharted and unknown territories of life. And uh, this morning I'm looking forward to talking about uh, the, uh, the power of priority and putting first things first. Everybody look, uh, find your neighbor and say first things first. First things first. And uh, if you have a Bible this morning... Uh, we are going to be in Haggai chapter number one. So go ahead and go to Haggai chapter number one. Now, for the next few minutes, this is a judge-free zone. So go ahead and go to the table of contents to figure out where in the world Haggai chapter number one is. And uh, that's where we're going to be this morning. And uh, mine's on page 962, if that helps anybody. Haggai chapter number one. And uh, there's a powerful scripture about putting the first things first. If you don't have a Bible today or you still can't find Haggai, the verses will be on the screens. And uh, that'll be a help to you. Verse number one. If you're there, say amen. amen. The Bible says this. In the second year of Darius the king, in the sixth month, in the first day of the month, came the word of the Lord by Haggai the prophet unto Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and said to Joshua, the son of Josedek, the high priest, saying, hardest part is over. Verse number two. Thus speaketh the Lord of the host, saying, This people say that the time is not come, the time that the Lord's house should be built. Then it came the word of the Lord by Haggai the prophet, saying, Is it time for you, O ye, to dwell in your sealed houses, and this house lie waste? Now therefore, thus saith the Lord of hosts, Consider your ways. Everybody say, Consider your ways. Consider your ways. Ye have sown much, ye bring in little, ye eat, but ye have not enough. Ye drink, but ye are not filled with drink. Ye clothe you, but there is none warm. And he that earneth wages, earneth wages to put it into a bag with holes. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Go up. Everybody say, go up. Go up to the mountain and bring wood and build the house. Everybody say, build the house. You've got to build the house and I will take pleasure in it and I will be glorified, saith the Lord. If you're excited about hearing from God this morning, say amen. It's our word of prayer. Father, thank you for this day that you've given us. God, thank you for our time together this morning. And uh, Lord, I pray that for the next few minutes we'll be able to focus on your word. I pray that uh, we can arrest our attention to scripture today. God, we know and recognize that, that your word is, is, is uh, our first priority. And God, I pray that we would uh, give earnest uh, attention to what you'd have for us today. Lord, I pray that we can leave here differently because of what we've learned in Jesus' name. And everybody said... Amen. Is anybody an adventurous eater? Can I see your hand? Adventurous eater. You like to try new things. My wife Katie is an adventurous eater. Uh, she's eaten all kinds of things, ostrich, crocodile, just all, all kinds of different things. Um, admittedly, I'm a little bit of a picky eater. Um, I'm growing in that area of my life, but, but normally I like to just kind of stick with the basics, you know, and... Uh, and uh, I'm kind of reaping uh, some, of the, uh, some of the consequences of what I've sown uh, growing up with my daughter, Liv, now. She's three years old, and she's a picky eater. And uh, she, she is putting up a fight sometimes in a battle when it comes to eating some healthy uh, meals for dinner and for lunch, and she, she, she does not like that. Now, she has no problem throughout the day uh, kind of going and eating sweets and, you know, candy and all those types of things. She loves that, but when it comes time to eating something healthy, she usually puts up a little bit of, a little bit of a battle. I'm trying to teach her, Liv, before you can eat candy and marshmallows and cotton candy and, you know, all those things that she loves, you got to eat a healthy meal first. That takes priority. The other night, we were having a meal at dinner, and uh, Katie had made uh, chicken, 
rice and corn. And we put some chicken, rice, and corn in front of Liv, and uh, she was not having it. And so we are trying like every trick in the book. You know, I'm saying, Liv, we'll give you a surprise if you eat it. You know, uh, Liv, we'll cheer for you if you eat this. You know, ice cream afterwards, all these different things. And she's not having it. So I kind of compromised, and I'm still learning my parenting skills. But I said, okay, you, you only have to eat the corn. That, that's all. Just eat the corn, and we'll be good to go. You like corn, no problem. And she was being dramatic now. She was crying. She's, I don't like corn. And she was not, not going to have it. And so then I said, okay, how about just three bites of corn? You know, her grandma taught her, you're three, so three bites of corn, that makes sense. So just three bites of corn, that's all, that's all you have to do, then, then you can go and play. And she wasn't having that. And so then I said, okay, just one bite of corn, Liv, please, just one bite of corn, and, and that's all you have to eat, and, that, and we'll be good to go. And then I'm sad to say that it came to this, but then I eventually said, Liv, one kernel of corn, please, just one piece of corn. If you eat this, you can go play. And finally, she put that piece of corn in her mouth, and she was crying, and I kind of sat back and was like, finally. And I, I looked at Katie like, that's how it's done, you know, like. <laughs> and right when I was thinking that, she spit that corn back out on the table, and uh, she, she did not have it. And I've been trying to teach her this. She's been getting a little bit better, a little bit, slowly but surely. But I'm trying to teach her, hey, first things first. Before you can eat candy and marshmallows and all those different things, you've got to eat what's healthy uh, for dinner and for lunch. You've got to eat the healthy meal first. I read there's an author, E.M. Gray, he said this. Uh, he said, uh, the successful person has the habit of doing the things failures don't like to do. They don't like doing them either necessarily, but their disliking is subordinated to the strength of their purpose. And he went on to write this essay, uh, and he talked about the common denominator of success. And he said, the common denominator of success is not uh, a talent. The common denominator of success is not even hard work. He said, the common denominator of success is the ability to put the first things first. And I find that spiritually so often, uh, we are so focused on the secondary, and we forsake the primary. And we've got to have the ability and learn to say no to some minor things so that we can say yes to some major things. We've got to learn the power of priority and putting the first things first. And if we want to honor God in our spiritual lives and we want to honor God in this church plant, we've got to have the ability to say, you know what, I'm going to put some secondary things to the side in order that I can say, uh, this is taking the utmost priority in my life. This deserves first place. And so uh, we're going to talk a little bit this morning about putting first things first, and we're going to look at the book of Haggai. Now, uh, the book of Haggai is an interesting book, not often studied, a uh, very small book, uh, but it's really a powerful example of priority. And I have a timeline here that I think will be a little bit uh, helpful to us. Uh, Babylon was overthrown by Cyrus in 539 BC. Uh, you might remember that uh, the children of Israel were taken into captivity, uh, captivity by Babylon, well, uh, 70 years Later, Cyrus overthrows Babylon. A year later, Cyrus issues a decree allowing the, the exiles to return. So they go back to Jerusalem, and there their city was destroyed, the temple was destroyed, and so they're faced with this daunting task of rebuilding. And so they decided that they were going to start rebuilding the temple. In 536 BC, temple construction begins. They kind of cleared out the rubble. They laid the foundation for the temple. Things uh, were going great. But then something interesting happened. The Samaritans came along. And the Samaritans kind of wanted to reestablish and reconnect with their Jewish roots. And so they said, hey, we want to help you build this temple. Let us, let us help you. And the Jews said, absolutely not. We hate you. We want nothing to do with you. Please leave us alone. Uh, the racial, racial tension was very strong between the Jews and the Samaritans. And so the, the Samaritans got upset. They said, fine, if you don't want our help. Uh, they actually sent people uh, back to Cyrus, and they kind of lobbied against them, which brought uh, temple construction to a halt. They said, you're not allowed uh, to build the temple anymore. So in 530, uh, the temple work comes to a halt. Now, during that time, uh, the economy was actually doing pretty well in Jerusalem. Things uh, were opening up, stores were opening up, people were building homes, and businesses were being established, and things were actually going pretty well, except for one major problem. 
the temple was not built. And they were becoming accustomed to having no temple. Now, now this may not seem like a big deal to you, but uh, it was a very big deal because the temple represented the presence of God. This is where they would go and worship God. And so while everything else around them was, was booming and things were prospering, the temple was not being built. They did not have a place to worship. And so then God sends a prophet named Haggai in 520 BC, and he came with one strong, loud message. Hey, the temple needs to be rebuilt. We need to start worshiping God. Everything else is going great. You're working, but you're not worshiping. We need to get the temple uh, built up and so he encourages them and he challenges them to put the first things first we're not going to focus on the economy and building our own houses and all these different things let's focus on building God's house up together and I believe that there's some powerful principles about priority in Haggai chapter number one so if you got your Bible open keep them ready and I'm going to give you four principles about priority this morning number one number one intentions paired with inactivity will lead to complacency Intentions paired with inactivity will lead to complacency. Notice verse number two. The Bible says this, Thus speaketh the Lord of the host, saying, This people say the time is not come, the time that the Lord's house should be built. They kind of, they kind of give this excuse. They say, you know, the, time, the timing isn't quite right for the temple to be built. You know, uh, Persia and Cyrus, they said we can't be building right now. So, so we never really heard from God. We never heard a word from God to restart building. So the, the, the timing is just not right. And they kind of spiritualize the problem. See, these were good people. They, they wanted to build the temple. I mean, the foundation was laid, but they just thought, you know, the timing is not right. And they kind of spiritualized their problem. They said, we're just waiting to hear from the Lord. You know, sometimes we can spiritualize our own stagnation. We're not moving forward. We're not doing what God wants us to do. And so we kind of spiritualize it in, in, in the guise of, I'm just waiting on the Lord. And they were saying, we're just, we're just waiting on the Lord. And as soon as he gives us more clear direction, as soon as he kind of reveals to us the next step, then we'll take it. We're just going to wait on his timing. But the truth is, is that's a double standard. We say that all the time. I'm just going to wait on the Lord. And when he makes it clear and tells me what to, what to do, and when he makes it clear and gives me the specifics of where I need to serve and what I need to do, then I'll go ahead and take that step. Then I'll go ahead and do that. But it's a double standard because oftentimes we don't wait for God in other areas of our life. We don't wait to hear from God uh, when it comes to our day-to-day -day routines and when it comes to what we're doing on a daily basis. We don't wait to hear from God. But, but here it's a double standard. Look at what it says in verse number three. Then came the word of the Lord by Haggai the prophet saying, Is it time for you, O ye, to dwell in your sealed houses? Uh, and this house lie waste? You can sense the sarcasm. God says, oh, let me, let me get this straight. So it's not time for you to build the temple, but it is time for you to build your own sealed house. Sealed house meant paneled house. It, it, it was a luxurious item. It, it talked about wood paneling, which would have been an expensive uh, commodity in this time. And so what he's saying is, oh, oh, oh so let me get this straight. It's not time for you to build God's house, but you can go ahead and put all the finishings and the crown molding and nice floors and all these things, which are great things, good and godly things, or are good and great things, but you're not putting my house first. And so this was a double standard. They were saying, oh, I'm just kind of waiting on, on God's timing, just kind of waiting to see uh, what God's going to tell me to do. But it was this double standard. They, 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 they were building their own houses. Their, their actions exposed where their heart really lied. Our actions will always expose our true values. We can say, it's easy to say, I love God's house. It's easy to say, I want to serve the Lord. It's easy to say, I want to be involved in church. But our actions is where it's really told. And so they were saying with their mouth, yeah, well, it's just not God's timing. We want to build the temple, but just not yet. God hasn't made it clear. But during that time, they were building up their own houses and showing their priorities were all misplaced. The Bible says this in Hebrews chapter 10, verse number 25, not forsaking. Everybody say not forsaking. not forsaking. 
not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another and so much the more as you see the day approaching. Research shows uh, uh, several different uh, uh, statisticians, they, they've done research and they say about 4,000 churches every year close their doors. And so I believe as a whole, America would say, yeah, the church is a priority or God's a priority at least, but their actions tell a different story. It's my prayer that our actions and our vocabulary would be in alignment where we could say, yes, I love Jesus. Yes, I love his house, but our lifestyles would match what we're saying. They were saying, yeah, yeah, we care about the temple. We want to do it. Not the right timing, but in the meantime, they were taking care of everything else. The Bible says this in Ephesians chapter 5, verse number 25. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church. Everybody say the church. And he gave himself for it. See, uh, Jesus cared enough about the church that he, that he gave himself for it. It was a priority. We're living in a world of, of, of hatred and confusion. And people are searching and longing for answers. And today I want to tell you this. The church is the hope of the world. Because as the church, we have the gospel of Jesus Christ. We are the, the pillar and the ground of the truth. And so this is more than just a gathering on Sunday. It's about a God-given mission that we're to live out every day of the week. And just as in the Old Testament, there was a priority for the temple to be built, there's a priority for us to build the kingdom of God today. We have a priority. We should have a priority with God's house and to say, you know what? I'm not going to forsake the assembling of ourselves together. I'm going to make sure that it's a priority to be in God's house. I'm not just going to say it. I'm going to live it. And so God comes and he says, hey, you're, you're saying that you have this priority, but you're not living it. Intentions paired with inaction will lead to complacency. They had lived years without the temple. They grew accustomed to it. They were living in complacency. And they had these good intentions, but there was no action. The Bible says this in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse number 5. Ye also as lively stones are built up. Everybody say built up a spiritual house and holy priesthood to offer some spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. I heard about a story about a man who heard about the famous walls uh, of Sparta and he goes and he, and he wants to check out these walls and he gets there and he's like, man, where's the walls? And, and uh, he was pointed to the soldiers and he said, that, that's our wall, every man a brick. You know, the same could be said about you and the same could be said about me in the church. Every man is a brick. We are a spiritual house to be, to be built up. And you know, we all play a different role in the church, but every role is vitally important. The Bible says in Romans, it says this, For as we have many members in one body, and all members have not the same office, so we, being many, are one body in Christ, and, and every one members one of another. See, the church is not a building, it's a body. We all play a unique role, an important role, and don't let anybody ever tell you that your role is not as important as someone else's. This morning we had 44 servant leaders come at 9.55 for our team rally, and every single one of those positions, every single one of those volunteers plays a vitally important role to what we do as a church. No one is more important than the other. Uh, did you know that a honeybee, I just read this this week in my, in my research about honeybees, um, a honeybee uh, produces in its lifetime one-twelfth a teaspoon of honey. The entirety of its life, one-twelfth of a teaspoon of honey. But when they come together, they can produce massive amounts of honey. You might look at your position in life, you might look at your role at your work or in the church and think, you know, I don't think this is very important, but when we come together and when we strive together for the faith of the gospel, some impossible things can be done. And so there was a priority here that God was reminding the people through the prophet of Haggai saying, hey, there needs to be a priority in my house. Let's build up this temple. There needs to be a priority. Number two, if you're taking notes, without God, fulfillment will always be out of reach. Without God, fulfillment will always be out of reach. Notice what it says in verse number five. If you're with me, say, I'm with you. 
Notice what it says here in verse number five. Now, therefore, thus saith the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. He says, I want you to think about it. Really think about how you're living. Consider your ways. You know, sometimes it's good to take a look at our lifestyle and, and think, you know, are my priorities in alignment with God's word? I've got to consider my ways here. Notice what it says in verse number six. Ye have sown much and bring in little. Ye eat, but ye have not enough. Ye drink, but you are not filled with drink. Ye clothe you, but there is none warm. And he that earneth wages, earneth wages to put it into a bag with holes. He, he says, you're chasing after empty pursuits. You've been busy. You've been working. You've been, you've been earning money, but you're putting it in your pockets, and there's holes in your pockets. It's just falling out. You're eating food, but you're not full. You're finding drink, but you're not satisfied. Fulfillment is always just out of reach. You're reaching for it. You're trying hard to find satisfaction in life, but you just can't quite get it. See, apart from God, fulfillment in life is always out of reach. You can chase and chase and chase empty pursuits, and you'll always be feeling empty. And he says, fulfillment is just out of reach. Song, uh, Song of Solomon, or Solomon, excuse me, in Ecclesiastes, he talks about uh, how he pursued and, and, and pursued after all kinds of things to find uh, satisfaction, fulfillment, and contentment. And I want to read you a couple verses uh, about what he says in Ecclesiastes. He said, you know, I pursued wisdom looking for fulfillment, and this is what it says in Ecclesiastes 1, 17 through 18. And I gave my heart to know wisdom and to know madness and folly. I perceive that this also is vexation of spirit. For in much wisdom is much grief, and he that increases knowledge increase, increaseth sorrow. So he says, wisdom didn't do it for me. I pursued and I chased after wisdom and I just couldn't find satisfaction. Then he said, then I pursued laughter. Ecclesiastes 2, 1 and 2. I said in my heart, go to now, I'll prove thee uh, with, with, with mirth. Therefore enjoy pleasure. And behold, this is also vanity. I said of laughter, it is mad. And of mirth, what doeth it? He said, I was trying to just, just find laughter and enjoyment in life, trying to find fulfillment and it left me feeling empty. He said, I pursued grand projects. I thought that would make, make me happy. I made great works. I built me houses. I planted me vineyards. I made me gardens and orchards. And made me orchards, and I planted trees in them, all kinds of fruits. I made me pools of water to uh, water the wood uh, that bring forth trees. He said, I tried to build grand projects and do great things to keep me busy. I thought I'd find uh, satisfaction in what I've done, looking back what I've built, and it left me feeling empty. He said, I pursued wealth in Ecclesiastes 5, verse 10. He that loveth silver shall not be satisfied with silver, nor he that loveth abundance with increase. This is also vanity. He goes on and on in the book of Ecclesiastes. He said, I pursued sex. I pursued fame. I pursued all these things to bring me joy and to bring me satisfaction, fulfillment, and none of it worked. Finally, he said in Ecclesiastes 2, verse 10 through 11, he said, whatsoever mine eyes desired, I kept not from them. He said, anything I wanted, I got. I withheld not my heart from, from any joy, for my heart rejoiced in all my labor, and this was my portion of all my labor. Then I looked on all the works that my hands had wrought, and on the labor that I labored to do, and behold, all was vanity and vexation of spirit, and there was no profit under the sun. What an amazing collection of statements. Solomon said, I pursued everything. I was chasing after everything, looking for every avenue to bring me satisfaction, every uh, avenue to bring me fulfillment, and none of it worked. It's all vanity. Derek Kidner said this, this is the paradox of hedonism. The more you hunt for pleasure, the less you find. God was saying through the prophet of Haggai to these, to these Jewish people, he was saying, listen, you're going to keep on working. You're going to keep on chasing. You're going to keep on trying as hard as you possibly can, and you're never going to be fulfilled because without God, fulfillment is always out of reach. 
Let me encourage you today to find your ultimate satisfaction in Jesus. Let me encourage you today that that Jesus has everything we need in order to live a life of godliness. He's given us every single thing we need. I love the song that says, Christ is enough. He has everything that we need. Ultimate satisfaction is found in a relationship with Jesus Christ. And, And so he was saying, hey, this is not where you find satisfaction. Sometimes we think that a life in Christ is a life that is gonna bring us um, maybe misery. We're gonna have to work more. We're not gonna be able to have some ha- have fun. We're gonna have to be busy all the time. No, God's will is not something that needs to be feared. God's will is something that needs to be enjoyed. Jesus said, I am come not that you can have life, but that you can have life more abundantly. Everybody say more abundantly. Jesus says the best life possible is found in me. If you're looking for true satisfaction and true fulfillment, it's found in a relationship with Jesus Christ. Psalm 16 verse number 11 says, thou wilt show me the path of life in thy presence is fullness of joy. At thy right hand there are pleasures forevermore. The Bible says in Psalms 37 verse number four, delight thyself also in the Lord and he shall give thee the desires of thine heart. Is anybody thankful for the satisfaction found in Jesus today? He says, you're, you're working, you're trying, but you just can't, can't get it. Verse 7, notice verse 7. Thus saith the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. What are your priorities? Verse 8. Then he says this, go up to the mountain and bring wood and build the house, and I will take pleasure in it, and I will be glorified, saith the Lord. By the way, whatever your occupation is, the chief goal of man is to bring glory to God. Amen. And so he says, hey, that's, that's what's going to bring me glory. I love the instruction, go up. Bring wood, build the house. Three instructions, go up, bring back, start building. This is what he was saying. Stop chasing empty pursuits and start building eternal priorities. What really matters, what's really gonna matter when you come to the end of your life, what's really gonna matter in eternity is the things of God, his house, reaching people with the life-giving, life-changing message of Jesus because it goes way more than just for five years, 10 years, 50 years. We're talking about eternity. What really is gonna matter? He says, let's start building my house up. Let's build eternal priorities. Let's start building. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 18 says, while we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen, for the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Everybody say eternal. What is really going to matter in eternity? He says, he says, if you focus on this, if you kind of have a, have, have a change of mind and start focusing on eternal priorities, that's going to start bringing me glory. God gets the greatest glory when he's given first priority. The Bible says this in Isaiah chapter 43, verse number 7. Even everyone that is called by my name, for I have created him. Every say created him. Created. This is why we were created for my glory. I have formed him, yea, I have made him. Let me encourage you today. Let's, let's start building. Let's start dreaming. Let's get, a, let's get to work. We have a job to do today. We have a city to reach. We have a community to build. We have families to reach. We have a life-giving, life-changing message of Jesus that we need to proclaim. We have the love of Jesus that we need to share to this community. We can't afford to sit back and start chasing empty pursuits. Let's start building eternal priorities. Let's shift our priorities to the house of God, to the work of God. He says... Intentions paired with an action is going to lead to complacency. And then he says, without God, fulfillment is always just out of reach. You're going to be chasing, but you're never going to be fulfilled. Notice the third statement. Number three, being in the driver's seat doesn't make you in control. Being in the driver's seat doesn't make you in control. I think the Jews, they felt like they were in control. The economy was going, and they were kind of taking care of their own houses, and things were going well. And uh, they didn't necessarily, you know, sense a, sense a need to build a temple at this moment. They were just kind of waiting. They thought that they were in control. Notice what it says in verse number 9. 
You looked for much and lo, it came to little. And when you brought it home, I did blow upon it. So they brought home, you know, whatever they had gained and God said, I blew it away. Why, saith the Lord of hosts? Because of mine house, that is waste. And you run every man into his own house. He's saying, uh, you're still going to your own house. You're running to your own house. Why, my house lies in waste. Verse number 10. Therefore, the heaven over you is stayed from dew, and the earth is stayed from her fruit. And I have called for a drought upon the land, verse number 11, and upon the mountains, and upon the corn, and upon the new wine, and upon the oil, and upon that, the ground bring, uh, that which the ground bringeth forth, and upon men, and upon cattle, and upon all the labor of his hands. Here, here's the point that God's saying. You think you're in control. You think you're in the driver's seat, but ultimately... I will be in control. I will accomplish my purpose. I'll send a drought. I'll blow away your blessings. I'm ultimately in control. You think you're in the driver's seat, but I'm going to accomplish my purpose one way or another. Many times we, we think we have a grasp on life. We think that we're in control and we know what we're supposed to do next. When really God is ultimately working behind the scenes accomplishing his purpose. Uh, a few months ago I was at Disneyland and... Uh, my three-year-old daughter, Liv, and I, we, we rode this ride. I can't remember what it's called, but it's like, it's, it's a car ride, and uh, you're on this track, and uh, you can uh, push the pedals down to kind of control your speed a little bit, but you're on a track, and so no matter how much you move the steering wheel, it doesn't really matter because you're on the track the whole time. And so I told Liv, do you want to drive? And she said, yeah, and she was so excited that she could drive, and I knew that, you know, she can turn it, it would control it just a little bit, but ultimately, we were on the track. She didn't really have any control. I have a video uh, for us this morning. Whoa! Whoa! <laughs> Whoa! Whoa! <laughs> Whoa! 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 <laughs> she had a lot of fun, and she thought that she was in control. She thought that she was driving that car, and I kept saying, Liv, you're a crazy driver, but ultimately, she wasn't in control. We were on the track. We, we were on the, the, the track that couldn't really be altered, and she thought that she was in control when she wasn't. So often times in life, we move forward thinking that we got a grasp on things that we're in control, and ultimately, God says, I'm going to accomplish my purpose. Notice, notice what it says in verse number 10. It says this. Therefore, the heaven over you is stayed from dew. Everybody say stayed. Amen. This verse really shook me this week. Verse 10. Therefore, the heaven over you is stayed with dew. And the earth is stayed. Everybody say stayed. Amen. From her fruit. He says, the heaven's not going to bring rain. It's stayed over you. It's paused. It's just staying. It's just waiting. I'm just going to keep it here waiting until your priorities get in line. See, misplaced priorities will always put God's provision on pause. Misplaced priorities will always put God's provision on pause. He says, I have some blessings that are just waiting over you. They're just hovering over you. They're stayed, and I'm waiting for you to get your priorities in line so I can release my provision on you. See, God wanted to bring the rain. He wanted to bring the dew. He wanted to bring some good things, but their priorities were all out of whack, and so they were just hovering over them. I wonder today if God has some blessings that are just hovering over you. I wonder today if God has some blessings that he wants to release over your life, but he's waiting for you to get your priorities in alignment with his will. Misplaced priorities will always put God's provision on pause. They had no idea what they were missing because their priorities were out of alignment. The Bible says this in Psalm chapter 37, verse 5 and 6. Commit. Everybody say commit. Amen. Commit thy way unto the Lord. Trust also in him, and he shall bring it to pass. And he shall bring forth thy righteousness as the light and thy judgment as the noon day. I want to give you one more principle this morning. We'll be done. Number four, if you're taking notes. Number four. God's provision will follow our submission. God's provision will follow our submission. Notice what it says in verse number 12. 
Verse number 12, Then Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, and Joshua, the son of Josedek, the high priest, with all the remnant of the people, everybody say all, they obeyed, everybody say obeyed, with the voice of the Lord their God, and the words of Haggai the prophet, and the Lord their God had sent them, and the people did fear, everybody say fear, before the Lord. They said, you know what? Haggai, you're right. What a, what a great response. They didn't argue and they didn't say, I don't know, God never told us to build a temple. How can you be so mad? How can you be so upset? How come you're urging us to do this? We didn't know. They said, Haggai, you're right. And they obeyed. They submitted. Notice verse 13. Then spake Haggai, the Lord's messenger, in the Lord's, uh, in the Lord's message unto the people, saying, I am with you. God says, okay, since you obeyed, since you submitted, since you want to get back to work, since you want to get your priorities in alignment, let me tell you something, I'm going to be with you. He said, my presence is going to follow. See, that, that's all we need in life. If we have God's presence, we're good. We don't need anything else. He says, I'm going to provide for you. I'm going to give you my presence. You know, we have the same promise to us today. The Bible says in Matthew 28, verse 19 and 20, Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. See, God says you have my permission to change the world. You have my presence to change the world. Now, make it your priority to change the world. He says, you submitted, you obeyed, I'm going to be with you. I'm going to be there for you. I'm going to provide for you. That, that, that blessing that was just paused in heaven is about to be released over you. I don't want to miss out on God's provision because my priorities are focused on what I want to do. I don't want to miss out on the blessings that God has for us as a church because our priorities are not in alignment with God's priorities. God's provision will follow our submission. Notice what it says in verse 14. And the Lord stirred up the spirit. Everybody say, stirred up the spirit. He stirred it up of Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, the son of Josedek, the high priest, and the spirit of all the remnant of the people. I love this. The spirit of all the remnant of the people, they came and they did work. Everybody say, did work. They went to work in the house of the Lord, their host, their God. And so uh, they decided we're going to get back on track. We're going to start putting our priorities in alignment with God's priorities. We're going to build the house of God. First, Jerubbabel got stirred up. He got excited. And then Joseph or Joshua got uh, stirred up. He got excited. And then the Bible says the whole people, the remnant of the people all together, they got stirred up. They got some passion about themselves. They said, hey, we actually really care about this. We want to be excited about what God is going to do. They had their own little team rally. They had their own little team huddle. They they had some hype. They built it up. They got excited about the things of God. Is anybody this morning excited about the things of God? Is anybody excited about what God can do? See, we can get excited about all kinds of things, about the Super Bowl, about sports, about the latest and greatest, but there ought to be some people in Fontana, California that say, I can get excited. I can get passionate about God's house. I can get excited and passionate about what God has called me to do. This is something that is important to me. God's put it in me. I want to fulfill the calling that God has given me. And so the people, they got stirred up. Zerubbabel, he got excited excited as the leader. Joshua said, hey, I'm in this too. And all the people went to work. They didn't just talk about it. They didn't just have the desire. They put it to action. The story begins with their intentions. It ends with their actions saying, hey, we're going to do something about this problem. We're going to work together. We're going to strive together. We're going to be in this and we're going to accomplish the mission that God has given us. I love what the Bible says in James chapter 1 verse 25, but whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty, that's the word of God, 
and continueth therein. He being not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the work. Everybody say a doer of the work. This man shall be blessed in his deed. The Bible says if you look to the Bible, if you look to scripture, if you look to Haggai chapter number one and you hear it, but you don't do anything about it, it's like looking in the mirror and not fixing all the problems that are on your face. Whoso looketh into the perfect law of liberty and continueth therein, got to look to the word of God, continue there, take a close look and say, God, what would you have me to do? This morning, I wonder what, what God wants you to do. I wonder what priorities God wants you to maybe shift. I wonder what God is speaking to you to change. We've got to be willing to put the first things first. I read about uh, a painter, his name was Adolf Menzel in the 1800s, and he painted this uh, famous painting, and, and interesting, his most famous painting was never completed. And uh, it was of supposed to be a Frederick the Great. This is, uh, this is the painting here. And uh, the painting is called Frederick the Great's Address to His Generals Before the Battle of Luthen. And uh, kind of depicting the, a battle from the Seven Years' War. But what's so interesting about the painting is he started with the generals all around it. He worked on all the details and, and, and the surroundings and the scenery. But he never got around to actually painting Frederick the Great, which is just that little empty space right there. He started on everything else first. I'm going to do all the surroundings, the generals, they had the details, they had everything lined out, but he never put the most important and prominent figure in the painting. So often in life, we focus on our careers and our relationships and our work and what we want to do, and everything else is painted clearly, and we leave out the most prominent figure, Jesus. And our priorities are misaligned. I want to encourage you today, put Jesus at the center. Is, is God occupying the central position in your life? Today, is God occupying the central position in your life? Is he first? Does he have the preeminence? Is he above everything? Let's put the first things first. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes this morning. What can we learn from this little book of Haggai? Intentions paired with inaction will always lead to complacency. I wonder how long it's been since God's built something up in your life. I wonder how long it's been since there's been a burden and a passion in your heart. The Jews just kind of became accustomed to not worshiping. They were working, but they weren't worshiping. Without God, fulfillment is always out of reach. I wonder what we're chasing. I wonder what we're pursuing. Does it really matter in eternity? Being in the driver's seat doesn't make you in control. We like to be in control. We like to make plans and like to be in the driver's seat, but that doesn't mean that ultimately we're in control. God is ultimately directing our steps and accomplishing his purpose. Provision will always follow our submission. I wonder today if there's some blessings that are hovering over you that are just stayed, they're on pause, and God wants to release it over your life. 